God wants to do some new work in you and, and give you a story as well. And that starts by living out the example of Jesus Christ. And we're looking at that today and the next couple weeks by how we serve. This series is just simply titled, uh, We Are Difference Makers. And it's just a line or a phrase that we get from our purpose statement. It's really simple. It's uh, our, right here on the screen. It just says, our desire is to exalt Jesus Christ as Savior so that everyone will come to know God, live free, that's salvation, find purpose, and then be a difference maker. And that just means that our life has, has impact. And I know that you might think, well, you know what? There's not a whole lot that my life can offer. Well, that's just not true. You have to allow God to do a good work in you by receiving Jesus Christ, and he can do some things that you never thought you were imaginable before. Your life matters. Your life matters. Your life can have tremendous amount of impact in the world that's around you, your family, your, your workplace, and here at this church and in our communities. And we're going to talk a lot about this word difference makers. And you might wonder, well, what does that mean to Bethany Christian Church? What is a difference maker at Bethany? It's just simply someone who is serving the Lord at Bethany Christian Church and the church is getting the benefits from it. Serving the Lord through their time, their talent, and their treasure. Those are things that God has asked us to be generous with. And we're doing it the best way we can by following the example of Jesus. And one of the things I've discovered about my life is I'm not going to live forever here on earth, right? And you're not either. And so we got really, to really manage how it is we want our legacy to be left. And I think the greatest legacy for any believer is not uh, how much money we leave behind, how much even money we give. It's really about the time and the talent that we position here and make that so that Jesus Christ is being exalted so that others will come to know him. And I think the greatest testimony you could ever have, the greatest legacy that you could ever leave is when someone comes to you in heaven and says, I'm here because of you. I'm here because you did something unique in your life. You didn't look to be served. You served me. And you did it in a way which magnified and exalted Jesus Christ. And I saw the Savior in you. And because I saw Jesus in you, I wanted, to, I wanted Jesus here with me. And friends, that's the greatest legacy you could ever leave. And that's the legacy that Jesus Christ calls us to. That's the example he asks us to live our lives by. And anybody who calls themselves a follower of Jesus, your life should be identified by serving Jesus. And as you serve Jesus... That looks like you're serving one another, and it means that the church gets the benefit of what you're doing. You see, Jesus gives us this brilliant example. He's probably the greatest influencer that has ever lived. And uh, John chapter 13, turn with me. John chapter 13 in your Bible, 874, uh, is the page in which uh, is a chair Bible that you have right in front of you. Maybe you're at one of our campuses, and there's a Bible there on the desktop, or you're in our fireside room. Grab one of those Bibles, page 874, John 13. We're going to see this awe-inspiring selflessness of Jesus, and we're going to get an encounter with how we're supposed to serve. We're supposed to serve like our master. We're not above him. We're actually beneath him. So if you want an idea of what we're called to do on a daily basis, look no further than Jesus, who should have been positioned to be served, but decided to serve. Here it is. Verse one, John chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Many of you know this scenario right now. This is Thursday night, right before Good Friday. So we know Good Friday is when Christ was executed on a Roman cross. So he's about ready to die. He's less than 24 hours away from his death. And they're all in an upper room and they're having dinner together. And it says that Jesus had knew from the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. What a brilliant phrase to add from the gospel writer John. Meaning he gave every moment, every attention, every detail to loving on the people he was with in the moment he was with them. He never checked out. He never retired. He never said he was unqualified. He continually ran the race right through the finish line all the way through his execution. And we know because he rose again and beyond, right? 
This is kind of like uh, what's going on here is they're having a celebration dinner for Jesus. Okay, they all know that something's about to happen. Jesus has rented a room. They've all come together, the 12 and Jesus is his closest uh, disciples. And this is, this is like, parents, when you're sending your kid away to college for the first time, and you want to spoil them like crazy, and so you make him or her the meal that they want, and they have their friends over, and it's like the night before they're to leave, right? And so you want to spoil them. This is like before you go on a big trip or wherever it is, like you're going to be gone for a long time. You bring all your friends over. They have a big barbecue, and you, you get spoiled on, and everyone tells you how much you're going to be missing. They, they love you, and every, all the attention, all the spotlight's on you. Okay, well, all the spotlight and all the attention is on Jesus, and this is so important. They're reclining at a table because that was the customary thing to do. The tables were low. They're reclining. They're kind of curled up in a ball. They're resting on their elbows. And so as you're curled up, your, your feet are exposed and they're usually in someone's face. And so it was customary that let's, let's kind of wash our feet here, fellas, right? We've been traveling a long distance. Otherwise, we're going to be sitting here thinking, man, are the onions spoiled? No, that's just Peter's feet. They just stink. So there could be an, an absolute stink in the room because of these guys' feet. And uh, typically, the homeowner would wash the feet. Now, they're in a rented room, so no one is there who has been placed in charge of washing feet. And so Jesus kind of takes notice of the room, and he says, I'm going to wash some feet. I'm going to give them an example, but beyond that, someone needs to do this here tonight. And Jesus grabs a bowl without mentioning a word, grabs a towel without mentioning a word, puts some water in the bowl without mentioning a word, and starts washing the disciples' feet. Now, Peter, you know, Peter recoils from that. He's like, no, 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 come on, not me. This is too embarrassing. Jesus is like, listen, you, you need this, Peter. Like, listen, let me tell you, you need this, Peter. And uh, Peter ultimately lets him do it. Now, just imagine this. Read the room for a minute. Peter is going to deny Jesus when Jesus needs him. And Jesus knows this about Peter. And that didn't stop him from serving Peter, did it? No excuses. Imagine this. He goes over to the feet of Judas. And he knows Judas is about ready to betray him and to sell him out. And do that evil, wicked deed. And that doesn't stop Jesus, does it? From having that foreknowledge of even serving him. You see, there is no excuse for not serving. And Jesus gives us this incredible example in John chapter 13 as he washes the disciples' feet and he becomes less than them. And of all the people reclining at that table that night, you know who should have been served? Our Jesus. It was his night. It was his honoring. And not one of them thought about it. And Jesus did what he does best. He lowers himself drops his status and starts loving on his disciples by lowering himself and serving them. Friends, that's the example Jesus calls us to. And here's what he says in verse 12 after that moment is over. He had finished washing their feet. He put on his clothes and returned back to his place. He said, do you understand what I've done for you? So he has this life lesson and he asks them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. What are those terms of guys? Those are terms of, of highness, right? Of authority. You've placed me in this really high place in your life and you've called me teacher and Lord and that's right. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, now that me, who who's, you've put above you, have washed your feet, guess what? You should wash one another's feet. I have set you, and here's the word, an example that you should do as I've done for you. You know what the greatest sermons are? The ones that are not preached, but the ones that are practiced. Those are the greatest sermons, aren't they? A sermon that can be shown, not just spoke. You want to influence others? Let me tell you how to do it. You start serving others and become selfless like Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. Love this. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17. Now that you know these things, underline, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus, what's in it for me? There's blessings in it for you. Because Isn't that the age-old question of every human heart? Come on, let's get to it. What's in it for me? If I'm going to give my time, my talent, my treasure, if I'm going to hand myself over to serve somebody else, deep down, I've got this question. 
you're looking at me like I am the most self-centered pastor you've ever met. You've said this too, haven't you? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Jesus says, I'll tell you what's in it for you. Every time you serve, every time you live out my example to somebody else, you will be blessed. And you know what that word means? It doesn't mean you're gonna have a ton of money. It doesn't mean you're gonna have a ton of time. Here's what it means. You will be happy. You won't have to go manufacture it. It'll be a part of your life. You'll have this joy that you can't explain because you have just poured yourself out. Now, some of you are like, listen, what's the agenda today? Let me just get right to the heart of it. Here's the agenda. Today and the next couple of weeks, my agenda is to get you into a place where you can serve the Lord at Bethany and so that Bethany can be blessed because you're serving the Lord. Some of you just aren't serving. Some of you claim to be followers of Christ, but you haven't served in a very long time. Friends, that is totally not within the grand scheme of what Jesus calls a follower of Jesus. You're a consumer, but you're not a contributor. You're, you're, you're looking to be served, but not to serve. And Jesus says right here, it's, it's about serving one another. And, and there's some three continual areas that are always like hotbeds for strengthening at the church. There are worship ministries, which demand high talent, but some of you just need to step out and say, God's given me some talent. I just need to trust him with my talent. That's children's ministry. Some of you are like, boy, I don't know if I have the time. God's given us all the same amount of time. It's not just appropriating it the right way. There's hospitality ministry. That's, that's just welcoming people in and showing them the love of Jesus by your kindness and hospitality. Those three ministries are big ministries. This church is made up of thousands of people each and every week. And it takes hundreds of people to pull this thing off each and every Sunday morning at all of our campuses. And we always need these ministries strengthened up. And I'm gonna challenge you over the next three weeks to get connected with our Connection Central area and the lobbies at all of our campuses. There's folks there in red shirts that can help you discover a tailor-made place to serve in the church. That'll be perfect for your personality and your giftedness and your time constraints and all of that. But you have to be courageous enough and humble enough to say, God, I want to be like your son, Jesus. And I want to start serving. There is no excuse. He served Judas. He served Peter. What excuse would you have? So let me define this for you. Let me define what it means to be a servant by looking at uh, some of the Greek words that we find in the New Testament that give us the word servant. Now there's five Greek words that we take to make up the word servant. Let me give you three of the, the biggest ones that we find to help define what Jesus means when he says, I'm calling you to serve and to live out this example. The first one is the word bondservant. This is the allegiance that we should have as servants. This is the allegiance of a servant. It's like, how far do I go? What's my allegiance looks like? What my commitment level looks like? Just look at this word bondservant for a minute. Often described, we see this in Jesus. This term is often describing Jesus's service to us. Matthew chapter, or Mark rather, chapter nine, verse 35. Jesus talks to his closest disciples and he says, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the bondservant of all or the servant of all. Some translations oftentimes say that the bondservant is, here's the word slave. Now listen, I get it, man. We, we're in American culture with American history, negative connotation to that word slave. And we only think of it in one term only because we've been marked as a society by that one word and it is so negative that we don't have a clear biblical definition of what it means to be a bondservant or a slave any longer. And you read words like slave in the New Testament or Old Testament Bible and you're like, well, that must be like an American slave of our history or of our past that, that we despise. No, not at all. As a matter of fact, a slave was nothing of the connotation at all. As a matter of fact, a slave was someone that was just trying to repay a debt. So let's just imagine you go to a restaurant and you don't have your wallet on you. What's the classic scenario? 
you're going to go back and you're going to wash some dishes, right, until you earn or pay back your meal. Now, that's kind of the same idea, but these are people that have racked up huge amounts of debt. So, like, you have a huge credit card debt. You got to go back to the credit card company and say, hey, can I run telecom for a little bit, like seven years of my life? Because I can't pay it back, but I'll run telecom for you for free every single day for eight hours a day. You, it's basically like an employee in an employer situation. And a bond servant had an incredible debt that he owed to somebody, and he was just trying to pay it back the best way he had. But the owner of that debt was being as kind and as, and as, and as protective and, and as loving as he could on that person. And the great thing about the law of God was every seven years, this is great. Our God is so gracious, man. Our God is so gracious. Every seven years, regardless of your debt, the, the, the master had to cancel your debt if you were a bond servant right? So wouldn't you like want to take advantage of like, let's just rack up some dollar bills, y'all, right? Like just go crazy and be like, listen, seven years, I'm going to be forgiven of this thing. I just got to put in seven years. But they were so in love with the masters so many times that what they would decide to do is say, I know my debt's been canceled and I know I can go now and do what I want to do. But since you've been so kind to me, since you've been so loving to me as a master, I want to stay with you and I want to be called family. And so what they would do is they would take your ear and they would put it to the doorpost and they'd drive a giant nail through your ear right here and then they would pull it out and say, you're forever marked as our family. And you were called a bond servant by having your ear pierced. And what it meant was I was cho- I'm choosing now. I'm choosing to be a slave. I'm choosing to be a bond servant to this master. And bond servant is a voluntary life long commitment to serving. And that's what Jesus is calling us all to. Like never giving up, no, no matter what the debt is, no matter even if it's paid off, no matter what your feelings are, I'm just continually going to commit my life to serving. Here's the second definition given in the scriptures over and over again. The word is deacon, deacon, the awareness of a servant. So we have the allegiance of a servant, lifelong commitment, volunteering. The awareness of the servant is found in the word deacon. Now, for most of us, I think, who've been in the church for a very long time, we're like, deacons are the guys who are usually behind the building smoking. <laughs> like, they're not really, like, ready for primetime eldership, but they're somewhere. That, in, in most churches, like, they're on a board of some kind. They have charge over, like, landscaping, or they have charge over being the usher. We had a deacon named Cecil. He was in charge of the van. He was in charge of the van. You couldn't move the seat in the van without first getting permission from Cecil if you could move the seat forward, you know. It seems like somebody had ownership or lordship over something, but that's not at all what a deacon is in the scriptures. Jesus defines what it is. Matthew chapter 20, verse 26 on the screen. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your deacon, must be your servant, must be willing to serve. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, bond servant. He mixes those two words together. I love it. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to what? To serve, to be a deacon to others. To give his life as a ransom for many. Now, I don't see Usher there. I don't see in charge of landscaping there. I don't see in charge of van there. What do I see there? I'm just going to perceive some needs and I'm going to meet some needs. And Jesus has this clear contrast. The world is looking to, to kind of get this level of status that says, I'm ready to be served now. Jesus says, no, that's not the way at all a follower of Jesus looks at it. You're looking to find ways to serve others. You're looking around and you're aware of how to serve. This goes down to exactly what a waiter does at a restaurant, a good waiter. You ever had a really good waiter at a restaurant? They don't annoy you. They don't talk too much. But it seems like right when your drink needs a refill, before you can even ask, there's another refill. And it's kind of like graciously done, effortlessly done. Before you can even need more chips and salsa, here comes more chips and salsa. Love those waiters. On your last napkin, they see it all curled up. And, you know, they see it totally soiled. And they're like, here's another napkin. Thanks, I needed one. I didn't even want to ask for it because that'd be, that'd be embarrassing. 
Just always on the spot, kind of overwatching the table. And they're perceiving or aware of the needs that are there in front of them. And they, they take care of the need. Here's, the, here's what it is. Before you're even being asked to take care of it. That is the clear definition of a deacon. And Jesus brings us this definition to say a servant should be aware. Should be aware of the people and the circumstances that are around him. And here, let me put it like this. A deacon is a servant who quickly meets perceived needs. Doesn't wait to ask, like to find help. Just here, I'm, gonna, I'm here to help. I'm just, I, I saw the need and I met the need. I, I saw the hurt and I want to help heal the hurt. And Jesus is saying that that's, we're just kind of going around to the table and we're just, we're just filling some glasses and handing out some napkins and we're just kind of checking out. Is everybody, everybody doing okay? And, and we're not even going to wait to be asked. We're just going to meet the need and fill the need. That's, that's the deacon. Jesus calls us all to that. Like, we're not going to wait to be asked. We're just going to step in and fill the need. Here's the third definition. This, is, this, is, this one's classic and beautiful, but it's really hard to take. It's called under rower. It's also a term for servant. This is the aim of a servant. So, so we have the allegiance of someone who serves. We have the awareness, just perceived needs. And now we have the aim, the goal of a servant. And it's found in under, under rower. This is found consistently in the apostles. Once Jesus ascends into heaven, the apostles are left to expand the church, to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Two apostles in particular were absolutely amazing communicators of God's word, the apostle Paul and Apollos, his buddy. And they would go from town to town, city to city, and they would preach the gospel and the good news. And they were so eloquent and they were so powerful in their preaching. And they'd go establish churches. And, and, and they said, listen, we're under rowers. We're under rowers. We don't want the attention. We don't want to be the personality in the pulpit. We're under rowers. And the apostle Paul puts it to us like this in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, this is how one should recognize us. Like you want to title us, you want to honor us as servants of Christ, as servants, as under rowers of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Like just consider that we're not here, that we're powering things, but we don't need the attention. We don't need the applause. We don't need the pat on the back. We don't need the, you ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? You ever seen the movie Ben-Hur? The classic one, Charleston Heston. Remember the moment he's in the, the prisoner ship and he's rowing the oars and he's, he's not even a name anymore. He's just a number. He doesn't have an identity any longer. They've stripped that from him. He's now just serving at the will of the captain of the ship and he's there with other prisoners to row the boat. They are the powering part of the boat. They're the power of the ship. You know what they're called? Under rowers. They're not on the top deck. No one can see them anymore. They're just kind of like this unseen force underneath the ship that is moving the ship along and propelling it forward on the course it needs to go. They're not getting the attention. Why? Because they're below decks. Now here's what I've discovered in any organization, especially the church. When you're rowing the boat, you don't have any time to rock the boat. And what I've discovered is that all the people that decide to rock the boat in any organization, especially the church, are usually the ones that are not rowing the boat. They're just rocking it. They're not rowing it. They're just, they just know how to rock it, but they don't know how to row it. And here's the thing. They always think that this ship is made for them. And so they're not under rowers. They're on the top decks. They're like, come on, man, where are the drinks? Where's the food? Where's the hospitality? Where, where, someone feed me here. Someone, someone do something for me because you're on the top deck, not on the under deck, and God's never called us to the top deck. What does he call us? They ain't no cruise. The church is us, but it's not about us. He's called us to be under rowers, hasn't he? Boy, that's hard to understand because so many of us want to consume but not contribute, and, and we need to be the unseen force that says, with all my strength, I'm gonna propel the church forward with God's work within me, and it's not gonna be for my own exaltation, but for whom? The magnification of Jesus Christ. And so an under rower is a servant who labors to exalt Jesus. It's awesome. 
we could all get to that humble state to say, I'm here as an under rower. I don't need the pat on the back. My reward is in heaven. I am now going to propel the church forward. I'm going to be the unseen power with God at work within me. And I'm going to be a servant who labors for a lifetime to exalt Jesus Christ. That's what he calls us to. And friends, I understand why there's so many that sit out on serving in the church. Because to do those three things and to live up to the example of Christ, we're like, I'm out, man. And we make all sorts of excuses why we shouldn't, couldn't, and don't. Except for just submitting to the example of Jesus. Listen, it's not convenient because what, why? It's, serving is a lifestyle. It's not waiting to be asked. Why? Because it's about being aware. It's about being a deacon. It's not about receiving the reward. Why? Because it's about raising up Jesus high and exalted. The challenge that Christ put before us is so big, but I know that he's wired us up so that we can all arise to that challenge. He's, he's wired us this way so that we'll take on that challenge. You know what the Marines learned? 1977, they came out with this motto. Their motto is what? The few, the proud, the Marines. They developed that with an ad group in, on Madison Avenue. And they discovered that in all volunteered armed forces, they wanted to get the very best volunteers they possibly could. So they came up with that slogan. And here's what they recognized. They had recognized that when they threw out this monumental challenge to young men and women, they arose to the monumental challenge because men and women, all of us, we want to be expanded. We want to be stretched. We want to be challenged. We want a higher standard than what we can put before ourselves. We want to be told you can't do it. And we can say, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. And Jesus is telling us, this is a big stretch for some of you. To be a deacon, to be a, a bond servant, to, to be someone that is an under rower, some of you just won't be able to handle it. But he's equipped every follower to do it. And he's put out this monumental challenge to us. My challenge to you is live in such a way that you're living out the example of Jesus Christ and you're serving Christ by serving one another and you're powering the church forward because of your service. And if you're not doing that, to take that courageous, humble step to Connection Central and let them put you on a pathway to getting you plugged in to the right place that's tailor fit for you. Let's talk about the heart of the servant real quick as we finish up because Jesus certainly had a heart of, serve, of serving. So what does it look like to have a difference maker heart? Let me tell you, a difference maker has a heart that puts service over status. Service over status. It's not about me. It's, it's not about my rank. It's not my title or position. It's just about what does God have me to do? What's he positioning me to do? That's what I want to go after. I want to go after it headlong. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork. God's wired us and created us. He's knitted us perfectly together. And we've been created in Christ Jesus to do what? Let's just say it out loud, church, to do good works, some good works. God's got some good works planned for us and he's got them planned and prepared in advance for us to do. You may not have recognized that. God called us to contribute because he's got something ahead of us that he wants us to accomplish and he's gonna equip you to get it done. He tells us that these are pre-established good works. And I wonder how many of us are kind of sitting back and we're not hitting those good works because we're just not serving like Jesus has exemplified in our life. But God has designed you to make a difference. And the only one holding you back from making a difference is you. Because God has creatively and put you positioned wise to do something great, not just for you, but for others in the name of Jesus Christ. And the most fulfilled people on earth, you know what they found? Are the people that are giving of themselves. Research shows that over and over again. That the people that give, that the people are generous with time, talent, and treasures, they're the happiest people on earth. Now listen, I didn't need a research firm to figure that out. Jesus already said that, didn't he? In John 13, you start serving like I serve and you will be what? Blessed. You will be happy because you've served. That's how Jesus wired us. And friends, God has designed you to serve one another. 
I think it's Job that has said that God shaped me in my mother's womb. He shaped me, and he uses that word shaped. Like he formed me. And you heard David's words before. God's knitted me together in my mother's womb. Like he's created you for a special good work. Job takes that and expands that. And I think it's Rick Warren that says, listen, here's how God shapes all of us. And he uses that word shape as an acronym to understand how each one of us has something to bring to the table to build the church up. He says, number one, it's spiritual gifts, not something you can develop, but God develops that in you. Number two, it's heart. That's passions that God's placed within you. We all have different passions and that's great because it puts us in different positions. God has given us different abilities and God's given us a different personality. Some of us have great personalities and let's be honest, some of us don't. And God says, I don't care. I want to use every single person's personality. And God's used and given you personality because he needs you to reach out to someone that needs your personality in your life. And that's why he's given you some experiences to walk through. He's given you some experiences that you could have maybe trials that you found triumph in. And God says, I want to use even that past. Even that, like Nick talked about, he wants, God can even use that past that, that God didn't set that course for your life. Sin did, but God can even use that sin in your life and redeem it and use it in a powerful way to build up his church. And friend, are you allowing God to use those sayings in your life to propel the church forward as a bond servant, as a deacon, or as an under rower? Let me give you a, a second way that we can find our heart in all this, a difference maker's heart puts character over comfort. A lot of us want comfort. A lot of us want happiness. And I'll tell you what, man, some of us are looking at happiness all wrong. Does God want you to be happy? Yeah, he wants you to be happy. But can I tell you what he wants foremost in your life? He wants you to be holy. And when you start chasing happiness, guess what happens? You probably start, start losing holiness. But if you just started chasing holiness, you're gonna find happiness. That's there. That's in the presence in the midst of God, and it's greater than anything you've ever experienced. And friends, God wants you to develop character over comfort all day long. And you have to jump over some barriers to get there. I know, I know we do. I, I, like you, we have a self-centeredness. I'm always like, well, what about Matt? What about Matt? What about poor little me, right? Like, my needs need to be taken care of too. We always have this approach of what about me? You know, I love what Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says in the message. It just simply says, forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. That's what about Matt? Can you just forget about yourself for a moment? Just long enough to lend a helping hand to somebody. And I know sometimes they're like, yeah, but Matt, listen, preacher, I got all sorts of reasons why I can't do what you're calling me to do and what Jesus has exemplified here because you don't know my schedule, man. I, I serve and give in other ways and not at the church. I mean, my time is just so just wrapped up and busy. And, and listen, Proverbs chapter three says it like this. Never tell your neighbor to wait till tomorrow what you can do today. And I think there's a lot of us that are just pushing things off. We're like, well, I'll start serving when, or I'll start giving when, or I'll start, when, when. It's never happened for you. If you're looking for perfect conditions, they're never gonna come. They're never gonna happen for you. So how about you just humbly and courageously go to Connection Central and say, just, I don't know why I'm here, but I just know that something has touched me. God's doing something in me. I know I wanna live like Jesus and I wanna serve like Jesus. Another barrier, I think, developing a servant's heart is just materialism. So much of our on a quest to, to make ourselves like more money, to put in more time at work. And Jesus just simply says, you need to beware. Beware of greed. He says this in Luke. Guard against all kinds of greed. Life's not by, measured by, by your possessions. Your treasures here on earth aren't gonna mean anything in heaven. You're, you're, you're doing your banking in heaven, right? <laughs> because this isn't gonna last here. It's not gonna last here. And your banking in heaven has nothing to do with dollar bills. It has everything to do with the time and talent and the way you're positioning that so that other people can come and seek a savior that you already know. Let me give you the third heart that Jesus shows us. And that's a difference maker. A difference maker heart puts we over me. They're thinking about others. And the church, the church is, is made of us, but it's not about us. And so it's not about me. 
I shouldn't be walking into any kind of church and saying, well, what's in it for me? Well, there's nothing in it for you. Because Christ has positioned us and given us his spirit to pour out ourselves so that others might be blessed. And Jesus tells us without, without any doubt that as we pour ourselves out, we too will be blessed by doing that. You see, Peter says this in his little letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. Each of you has been blessed with one gift, one godly gift, a spiritual gift, with one of God's many wonderful gifts to be used in service of others. So use your gift well. My question is, are you using your gift? Do you know your spiritual gift? If you don't, man, you gotta get to Connection Central and you gotta walk through some of the pathways that we have to get you identifying what a spiritual gift is in your life. Because every believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit has given at least one gift and that gift's not for me, it's for you. And that gift's not for you, it's for me. And it's there to, to build up and to strengthen his church. And every single one of us, while we might have talents and while we might have some things that we can offer, all of us have a spiritual gift that's to enhance the bride of Christ and to make it stronger and to propel it, propel it powerfully into its course and future. And I know some of us are like, yeah, but you don't know my limitations. You don't know what my holdbacks, my drawbacks are. Let me just state it to you like this. God never calls the qualified. He always qualifies the called. And some of you are wondering like, am I qualified? It doesn't matter. Because you are Christ's, because you're his kid, he does the qualifying and he's calling you to live out a life that exemplifies his life, a life of servanthood. And he will position you and he'll get you ready for whatever it is he has before you. Whatever good work it is, God has created you to take it on. Do you trust him enough to step out and do it? See, my challenge to you is this. As a follower of Jesus, you have everything you need right here to propel and to make this congregation more powerful than it's ever been before so that the gospel of Jesus Christ will be proclaimed so the example of Jesus will be shown brightly in a community and in a world that desperately needs him. My challenge to you is if you're serving, continue to serve, don't give up. Don't give up. I know the schedules don't always go right. I know pastors are just people too and they're not always the best at encouragement. And you may not always hear the expressed love that you think you ought to hear. Would you just keep serving because you're not serving for man, you're serving the Lord. Just keep serving, keep serving. And if you are not someone that's serving in the church, but you call yourself a Christ follower, man, you got to really come to grips to really what you are. You got to really come to grips with really what you are. Man, if you're not serving at church, then my question is, where are you serving the Lord at? Like continually, not every now and then, continually, every single week, where are you serving the Lord in then? Where are you scheduled to serve at? And if you can't say anywhere, you need to be serving the bride of Christ. And you need to be positioning the bride of Christ so that it is being glorified, so that Christ will receive glory as well. And I know so many of us were like, well, you know, my life is filled with all kinds of tensions. I don't need one more tension in my life. There's what's called the, the law of the rubber band. I think it's a John Maxwell law. So it's kind of a made up law, right? So it means that like whenever we're just at our normal state, we just relax and we're like this, just, you know, just leave me alone and, and, and don't stretch me out because if you stretch me out, this is, this, is, this is a life of tension. I don't like this kind of life. And I just would rather be relaxed in life. And I think there's a lot of us living our, living our faith out like this. And when we hear things like serving or giving or giving time, talent, and treasure and being generous, we're like, come on now, man. That's a stretch for my life. And I don't know if I want to be stretched like that because this means life and tension. And I don't know, but listen, if this is the circle of influence that you've got right now and God's saying, I want this much more for you, don't you want this for you? And God says, listen, if, if, if I could just challenge you and stretch you and, and you know that this is gonna be a healthy thing, it's not gonna be a place where I'm gonna break you, I'm just gonna stretch you. Do you trust God enough to be stretched in your life to say, I'm gonna step out courageously and humbly and start serving the Lord at my church 
start loving on others. And as I love on others, I'm loving on Jesus Christ. You just allow yourself to be stretched and you're like, but that's tension. Yeah, I get it's tension. But listen, God's holding this together because our natural state is to recoil away from it, to avoid it. And I'm talking to some of you who have avoided it for a very long time. And you're not serving like unto Christ. You're consuming rather than contributing. And I'm not here to hit you over the head. I'm here to convict you. I'm here to convict you to become more like Jesus and less like yourself because this is us. And Christ says, but I want this for you. Will you step out and will you serve the Lord courageously and humbly and let your light shine before men so that they'll see your good deeds and then they'll praise your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, you're good to us, man. Way too good. Way too good. And I pray right now, we just, we just feel that. We hit, that just hits us in our heart how good you are to us how you continually to give and to serve and to love and to bless our lives, even though, man, sometimes we're like Judas, sometimes we're like Peter. And you're like, it doesn't matter to me, man. Their feet stink, they need washed. I see the need. Their life's not right. I, I just, I need to step in. Thank you for being a good waiter. Thank you for being a good deacon. Thank you for being a good bond servant. Thank you for, thank you for being a good under rower. Thank you for showing us how to get this done. And Father, we may just remove the arrogancy that we have that say we can't do it when we just watched you do it. And may we just live to be serving you by serving others. And may, Father, in that act of serving, in that lifestyle of serving, we find a new joy that we never have had before. Just as you have said and you have told us, Jesus, we will be blessed. May we come to know that blessing in a real way. We pray in Christ's name, amen.